Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. So last week in Luke chapter 16, I made two uh, principle-centered observation statements. If you take Luke chapter 16, the two things you'll see is this. One, every one of us will stand before a holy God one day and we will give an account for our life. You can't live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs, what your mom believes, what your dad believes, what your family. You and I, all of us, we're going to stand before a holy God one day, Vic, and give an account for our lives. The second observation we made looking at the rich man and Lazarus is this. We will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. The weightiness of what I'm going to share with you today By the time we get to verse 20 of Luke 17 is this. And if I had to title this message, I would title it, Are You Ready? Are you ready? That's where this message is going. The first 19 verses, I would encourage you to go back and read those and ponder those. Jesus gives us a lot of principle-centered statements in the first 19 verses. Uh, The first observation would be this, temptation and the enticement to sin cannot be avoided. He says temptation is inevitable. And I would say this to you. It's the first observation he makes in, in chapter 17. I would tell you this, even though temptation cannot be avoided, it doesn't imply you got to cave into it. You don't have to give into sin and temptation. And Jesus goes on to say, and you better make sure you're not the one tempting others or enticing others or leading others astray because it would be better off for you to have a big cinder block tied around your neck and you to drown in a lake than for you to lead others astray. That's the point he's making. Don't give in to temptation and sin, but make sure you're not the one doing it. Then the second observation he makes here, and so you're like, Cash, I've never heard you go through 19 verses in four minutes. That's what I'm doing right now. Because you know, I can spend three weeks on one verse. But the second observation he makes in Luke 17 is, forgive quickly and often. God forgives you extend forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is the heartbeat of heaven. Is it easy? No. But is it mandated? Yes. Keep, keep short accounts with other people. God forgives you. This is the way our father in heaven wants us to treat others. Next observation is this, live by faith, live by faith. And he uses the, the story of the mustard seed. A mustard seed is very small. But small faith can move big mountains. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith, we've got to press in. We serve a big God. And our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. He's like, uh, live by faith. The next observation is, serving is a privilege. Why don't you go ahead and get involved and do it? Look for ways to love your neighbor. Look for ways to bless your neighbor. Jesus is the ultimate example. Jesus said, "Uh, guys, you realize that I did not come so that others would serve me. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for the many. And the final observation I would make, read these first 19 verses and ponder it. But the final observation would be this, give thanks, live with a grateful, thankful heart. Don't you ever forget your redemption because Joseph there, he, he, he makes, uh, he uses the story of the 10 lepers that were cleansed and healed, but only one of them came back to say, thank you. He's like, don't you forget when I do something in your life, continue to give me thanks. Now 20 through the rest of the chapter, here's where we're going. Be ready. Jesus could return at any moment. People have been saying that for years, Cash. Yeah, they have. But when we start to unpackage this and we start to pay attention to the signs of the times in which we're living today, you you, got to pay attention. He could return at any time. Picking it up in verse 20, having 
been questioned by the Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious people of that day. Sadducees, Essenes, there was a bunch of religious groups, but the Pharisees were one of the most well-known religious groups of that day. They were constantly questioning Jesus, attacking Jesus. They claimed to know God. They claimed to be the representatives of God, but they rejected God repeatedly. The Pharisees questioning Jesus, and they said, Uh, as to when the kingdom of God was coming. Jesus, when is the kingdom going to come? When is God going to set up his kingdom? They were expecting an earthly king that was going to set up an earthly rule, etc. Jesus said the kingdom of God is not coming to be observed with all these different signs. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. The, The kingdom of God is in your very midst right now. Jesus is looking at the religious people who were constantly attacking him. And he says, God is with you right now, but you're so stinking hostile that you refuse to see it. God in flesh is with you. God is with you now. And you don't want to see it. You don't even have eyes that want to see, much less eyes that can see. Jesus then said to his disciples, Now the conversation shifts from the Pharisees, the religious questioning Jesus, to now Jesus looks at his 12 and says, let me talk to y'all. The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, returns, returns. When is he coming back? That's the emphasis here. But you're not going to see it. People will tell you, look, There is the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't you go out and follow them. What's the observation here? Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you empower. Many so-called prophets are going to rise up, and they're going to deceive those that are gullible. Now, follow me here. Back in 1987, I'd been walking with the Lord for two years. Came to faith in Christ in 1985. 1987, this guy writes a book, and it's going to be released there in the fall. And the the title of the book was 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And that thing caught fire, and people amongst church folk, man, were reading that. Man, you've got to read this, man. This dude has laid it out. He's got it figured out. He's got this scientific NASA kind of mind. This dude's brilliant. 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back. And we go through 88 and we go through 89. So then he comes back and goes, I missed it. Here's 94 reasons why Jesus will come back. And And what Jesus is saying is, pay attention. There's going to be a lot of people that would drink the Kool-Aid very quickly that are gullible. People will come with some type of argument and they're going to lead them astray. Have we seen that happen over the last hundred plus years? Yes. There's going to be a guy by the name of Charles Taze Russell, and he's going to have like this incredible revelation and insight into God. And he's going to start this movement called the Jehovah Witnesses. And there's going to be a lot of people that when they knock on their door and they hand them the Watchtower literature, people are going to go, oh, that's true. Be careful. Don't be gullible. There's there's going to be a guy by the name of Joseph Smith that shows up. And Joseph Smith is supposedly going to have this incredible revelation from God. And this angel named Moroni is going to speak to him. And he's going to start a movement called the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. He's going to claim that he's of God. Don't be gullible. Tap the brakes. What you listen to, the podcast the teachers, be careful who you listen to. Did Jesus say it? What did Jesus mean when he said it? And then Jesus looks at the disciples and says, regarding the return of the Son of Man, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky, so it will be when the Son of Man returns. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be unexpected, but it's going to be obvious. Barb looks at me last uh, yesterday around 4.30, and she said, hey, Benji just called. 
Uh, Grace is away right now with some volleyball stuff, and he's going to take the boys to your pie in Monroe. And he, he wants to know if we want to just come and hang out with him for a little bit. And I'm like, let's do it. So I, had, I, I, I was in charge, Caleb, wherever you're at. I was in charge of Millie, our dog. And I got on the Weather Channel, and I started looking at it, and it said, light to moderate rain starting at 7 p.m. Well, there you go. Light to moderate rain. So I said, she's going to be okay. By the time we get that downtown Monroe at around 4.50, boom, lightning, thunder, just raining so hard. And I was like, somebody lied to me. I was gullible. And I sat there and I was like enjoying time with my grandsons. And I was like, Lord, please let Millie forgive me. Because she got soaking wet. But I was sitting there looking at that yesterday. Just the rain as it was blowing and the lightning is, it was unexpected. But it was obvious and it was unescapable. He said, it's going to be that quick. I'm going to return like a thief in the night. You better make sure you keep oil in your lamps for no man knows when the Son of Man is returning, but you better, better, better be ready. Bam, it's going to be quick. Then he looks at the disciples and says, Now, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. And Jesus has repeatedly told the disciples, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be brutally shredded on the cross. That, that's going to happen. But when am I going to return? He says this, Just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot when God rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same when the Son of Man is revealed now, listen to me. When the Son of Man is revealed, it's going to be the same as it was with Noah, the same as it was in the days of Lot. Whoever seeks to keep his life is going to lose it. Whoever is trying to live for himself and promote himself and elevate himself, you're going to lose your stinking life. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two. There will be two in one bed. One will be taken. The other will be left behind. Two women will be grinding wheat at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left behind. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left behind. One of the buzzes back in the 1990s, Tim LaHaye had written this entire series called Left Behind. And that's where the title of this series comes from right here. Why did LaHaye write what he did? The same reason Jesus said what he did. Be ready. I could return at any moment. You better make sure that your heart is right with God because you do not want to be left behind. The crazy thing is we're living in a day and a time where we see so much advancement being made with technology Thus the iPad, iPhones, the speed of technology. We look and go, this is crazy. And, and man is making so many advancements when it comes to technology. And then we hear all of the advancements that are being made in the medical space and so many new treatments and all this stuff are coming about, Sandra. And we look and go, oh, we live an advanced day. Technology, medicine, look at it. But the sad thing is, and the commentary of our culture today, Greg, is this. We have not advanced at all spiritually or morally. If anything, we're living in such a decline today, Jack. We're seeing such a moral spiritual decay. And the spiritual pulse, even amongst those that call themselves followers of Christ, it is so sad. Just like in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Lot, you're going to see corruption, you're going to see chaos, you're going to see perversion. And I believe history 
is unfolding right before our very eyes today. We look at even the speed of chaos and corruption over these last four or five years, the speed that we're seeing, the intensity that we're seeing. And I believe that you and I have a front row seat and we're seeing history unfold before our very eyes. And God said that there is a storm coming. The storm is coming. The storm is coming. And the flood that happened in Noah's days will look like a small miniature version to the one that is coming. Jesus' emphasis repeatedly is pay attention to the signs of the time. Pay attention. Make sure you're prepared. Build your house Build your house on the rock of my word. Build your house strong on a foundation with Christ. Pay attention. Wake up. Wise up. Not only for you individually and me, but that we might become the salt and light that God has called us to be to infiltrate the world because there's so many people around us that are sick and lost and dark and on their way to hell. Jesus was kind enough to give us signs of the time in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 5 through 12, he gives us eight warning signs. Pay attention. The first thing Jesus said in these eight warning signs in Matthew 24 is one. He said, pay attention to the deception. Verse 5, many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many. False teachers false prophets, people that are occupying pulpits today. They minimize the truth. They trivialize the truth. They don't preach the word. They a la carte scripture. They cut and paste. They're not willing to step into the tougher subjects. He goes, there's going to be a lot of deceptions and a lot of false prophets and teachers. He said, pay attention to the conflict. Verses six and seven, you will hear of wars. You'll hear of rumors of wars. Don't panic. Nation will go against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Are you seeing all the chaos that are ha- is happening globally right now? We've been paying attention to the Ukraine-Russian conflict. But can I tell you, the United States is not a united group of people. This nation is so stinking divided, it's not even funny. I'm not a fan of women's soccer. Let me go ahead and just step out on that limb. But yesterday morning... When I got up, it was about 5 o'clock, 5.15, and I'm like, what's up? Let me see what's on before I re-enter into the world today. And I turn it on, and Columbia was playing England. And so I turn it on, and I'm watching this. And this is what hit me. I didn't watch them play any of the match. But when they started playing the Colombian national anthem, every one of those girls was standing. Every one of those girls were singing. Every one of those girls were echoing the cry of the anthem of their country. I'm Colombian. We see the corruption. We see the devastation in our land. We see how people treat God, how people treat their neighbor, how people treat this country. It's not only nation against nation. It's the conflict amongst the nation. God forbid you should have two people that's got two differing views politically interact with each other. That's in our country. My mentor Crawford Loritz said recently, he said, when the church crawls in bed with a political alignment and becomes pregnant, he said, the offspring looks nothing like the father. Be careful. This party is totally right. You're totally wrong. Every party has gaps in it. And we're seeing so much division and animosity and hatred. He says in verse 7, there will be chaos, famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world, persecution in verse 9. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Is that happening now? How about Trudeau and the policies he put in place in Canada during the COVID restrictions? How about pastors being locked up because they were even having open door services? 
oh, we're going to persecute you and attack you and we're going to lock you up. He says there, there's going to be abandonment. Verse 10, many will turn away from me. This is Jesus. In those end times, many are going to turn away from me. He goes on to say in verse 10, there's going to be great betrayal. People will betray and hate each other. Verse 12, there's going to be increased sin. Sin is going to be rampant everywhere. And the last thing he says is there's going to be a spirit of indifference. The love that many claim they have for me is going to grow cold. Remember when Jesus gave John the warning on the Isle of Patmos and he says, write to the church at Laodicea, I have this against you. You're neither hot nor cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That is the culture in which we live. Does Matthew 24, 5 through 12, are we seeing the manifestations of this in our country, in our culture, and in our world? Yes. And just like the earth rumbles with these tremors before an earthquake hits, I believe we're witnessing front row seat history. I believe we are witnessing the rumblings, Mama Kay, before Jesus returns. I will come. I will come back. Israel had been told repeatedly, here's how you will recognize the Messiah. They had been told repeatedly, hundreds of prophecies that God had spoken through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, you name it. They were told the exact number of years from a certain point in history to the time the birth of Messiah would take place. God says, hey, I'm going to tell you when it's going to be. And when Jesus was born, they refused to see it. They ignored it. They rejected it. And God has given us his word. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. God has given us his word so that we can discern discernment, the signs of the time, so that we're ready and we're prepared. But I will challenge you with this this morning. We must strengthen our faith in advance. We've got to be prepared in advance. One of my favorite verses is Daniel 1.8. Even when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes over and he's taking these guys to Babylon and all this stuff that's going to happen. And it says in Daniel 1.8, Daniel had resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. Before the storms come, before the turbulent winds start to hit us, we've got to be prepared in advance. We can't get ready the day of. We need to anchor deep. You've got to be prepared. And Jesus repeatedly tells us in the Gospels, behold, I told you in advance. I, I told you what was going to happen. So you've got to watch. You've got to prepare. You've got to be ready. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus makes this statement. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Everyone who hears it, implements it, acts on it, does it, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the winds and the floods came. It blew and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Here's the question for you. Introspection. If you looked into a mirror right now and asked this question, is your faith in Jesus rock solid? Are you satisfied with your walk with the Lord? Is your faith rock solid? Are you established on the rock? Are you a wise man? He who builds his house on Christ and the word of God is like a wise man. Are you wise? There's a huge difference in having information or knowledge. I'm talking about wisdom and insight for doing life. Am I a student of the word? Do I read it, listen, meditate, and act on it? Am, am, am I prepared today for the turbulent storm that awaits this world? Am I prepared? Christ is coming. Tim, are you scared of him? No. 
I'm not, not because of anything that I've done, but because my faith is anchored deep in who he is. You've got to know the truth. He says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples, John 8. Then you, Joshi, will know the truth. Then the truth will set you free. People oftentimes quote that. Hey, man, the truth will set you free. Don't buy it. If you abide in his word, hang with it, dwell in it, camp out in it, meditate on it. If you abide in his word, then you'll know the truth. It's the knowledge of the truth that will set you free. It's the knowledge of it. Jesus said, uh, there's going to be a lot of trouble and chaos. Yeah, there's going to be wars. There's going to be an intensity of what you see. Earthquakes, famines. I was reading this the other day. Earthquakes that are recorded in human history over the last 150 years. Earthquakes that have been recorded with a magnitude of 7.0 or greater. You go back and read history. From 1863 to 1900, there were 12. From 1901 to 1938, there were 53. From 1939 to 1976, there were 71. From 1977 until now, there's well over 200. Pay attention. Do you see how closer together the quakes, the famines, the turmoil is happening. Pay attention. These are merely the birth pangs that a woman would experience before the baby comes. That's what we're told in scripture. Jesus also said this, there will be an increase with unrighteousness. Look around us today. Do we see an increase of unrighteousness? 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writing to Timothy, and he highlights this and defines the condition of humanity. 2 Timothy 3, we read this, starting in verse 1. He says, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Last days, difficult times. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. Lovers of greed, living lives that are nothing more than flooded with hedonistic pleasure. They will hold on to a form of godliness, but they deny the power therein. Avoid such men as these. Do we see that manifesting today? Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, the pursuers of good. Why would Jesus spend so much time here in this conversation with the disciples saying, make sure you're ready, but pass this word on to future generations? Do we see deception increasing? Big time. False religion? Big time. But the question again is, am I ready? He says in verse 26 and 27 of Luke that people will not be ready. They're going to be buying. They're going to be selling. They're going to be marrying. It's going to be business as usual. Nobody is living with a sense of urgency, just like in the days of Noah. Don't miss this. What was happening in the days of Noah? What was happening in the days of Noah that's also happening now? If you go back and read Genesis chapter 6, what was happening in the days of Noah? That's also happening now. Genesis Chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. There was a population uh, increase. Population was exploding. Have we seen that happen amongst us? Yes. My son Caleb, a few weeks ago, he said, Dad, all right, so when you were my age, 17, 18, 19 years old, was there as much sin then as there is now? There was a lot of wickedness and evil then, son, just like there is now. Is there more sin now than there was then? Well, son, let me show you something. In 1978, when your dad was in the 10th grade, the population of Metro Atlanta was 1.3 million. Son, the population of Metro Atlanta today is over 6 million. More people that refuse and reject God and ignore God and don't walk with God there's always been sin, but the more people are alienated and separated and distant from God and shun truth. Oh, yes, son, there's all kinds of crazy things happening. 
He says in verse 2 of Genesis uh, chapter 6, you're going to see an increase of sexual perversion. I'll get into that later. Demonic activity. Do we see that today? Constant evil in the hearts of man. This is what he says in verse 5. I'll come back to that. There will be a widespread of corruption and violence. Listen to Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was evil all the time. I mean, humanity had only been on the planet for 1,600 years, but the heart of man was desperately sick evil and wicked. And God looks and he goes, look at the heart of man. Look at the wickedness. Look at how sin is being magnified. And people are parading sin like never before. Some of the stuff that we see today, we would have never seen some 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And you look at how people are so prideful with their sin. Hearts are evil. The wickedness is so sad. And if you refuse to accept someone's sin, you're the one called a bigot. You're the one called intolerant. That's the nation and world in which we live, just like it was in the days of Noah. The heart of man is wicked and sick and evil. But, but if you don't accept me for the way I am, you've got a problem. Well, the fact that you couldn't accept yourself for the way you were, you've got a problem. Who's got the problem? Here's a fundamental thing. I'll get into this when we get into the series on what? What is truth? What is truth? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth in its purest definition excludes it excludes do you think that Walton County school system would hire teachers to come in and go you're dealing with this first grade class truth is subjective it's whatever you want it to be and it's whatever you the kids want it to be so the teacher goes in first week of class which that's where we're at right now and she goes class what is two plus two and little Johnny raises his hand and he goes, two plus two is six. And the teacher says, that's so good, Johnny, you're so right. And, and anybody else, two plus two, and little Becky raises her hand and says, two plus two is nine. And the teacher goes, that's right, Becky, you're so right. Because truth is whatever you want it to be. Truth, by definition, excludes Two plus two, what is it? It's four. Well, you're also right. No, you're the only one that's right. But the culture that we're living in has eliminated moral absolutes and objective truth. And truth, by definition, excludes. Truth is not all-inclusive. If I meet you and you're visiting for the first time today and, and we meet in the back of the room and you come up and you're like, hey, Tim, I'm Tom. Yeah, that's my name, Tim. Timothy Earl Cash. But you know what? You remind me of a dude named Joe, so I'm not going to call you Tim. I'm going to call you Joe. I'm like, cool, but I will not answer you because that's not my name. <laughs> Do you see how the culture in which we live, we've eliminated truth. So the erosion, again, you'll hear this repeatedly over the next months. Genesis 3, question God. Even in Romans 1, ignore God. Just ignore him. Then it gets to the place of saying, just reject God. Then it gets to the place of saying, just eliminate God. So the erosion of deterioration in our culture has been, question God. Did God really say? And it gets to the place of just saying, ignore him. Don't pay attention to it. And then reject him. And then eliminate him. But once, Jonathan, you get to the place of rejecting and eliminating God, then you're forced with this. You become your own small G-God you call the shots. 
and no one can be held accountable. When you go back and study the days of Noah, what was Satan's strategy for defeating God's people in Noah's day? You've got to ask that question. So it was also in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? What was Satan's strategy for coming against God's people and trying to defeat God's people? I'll tell you what it was. The enemy enticed the godly bloodline of Seth that were viewed as the sons of God. He came against the lineage of Seth. You are the sons of God. And the enemy convinced the sons of God to marry the daughters of Cain that were the daughters of man. And so here's what you can do. Why don't you negotiate your allegiance and devotion to God? Why don't you mix Mary? We're not talking about marrying different races. We're talking about marrying different people groups that worship different God. Had nothing to do with this white girl who's going to marry this black dude. It was all about why don't you negotiate and compromise, compromise, compromise your allegiance to Christ and start worshiping these pagan gods. Why don't you do that? Where did the hearts of the men in the bloodline of Seth derail they gave up their devotion and allegiance to their God start to mix with these pagan gods what is one of Satan's most deceitful Steve and strategic schemes that he uses today compromise hey hey just just compromise you don't have to you don't have to keep your allegiance to Christ. Is, is that the same for, for people today? Is that the same, Rachel, for people today, for Christ followers? What are we being told by the world? What are we being told by even certain people in church? Hey, you've got to be friends with the world. You've got to love the world. You've got to conform to the world. Really? Yes, be friends with the world, love the world, conform to the world. D -d Does God have anything to say? James chapter 4, he says, do you not realize that friendship with the world is adultery to God? Just be friends with them. Or just love the world. Then why? Would God write through John in 1 John 2 and say, do not love the world or the things in the world for the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Don't, don't do it. So James writes about it. John writes about it. Paul, what, do you have anything to say about it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I... I said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that then you can prove what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is. But we're told in our culture, compromise. And compromise will always lead you and it will always lead me to a lack of moral standards. Compromise. No, don't compromise, Rachel. From my oldest to my youngest. Caleb, don't compromise with the world. Don't, don't, don't. It's a death word. It's, it's a defeat word. And here's the culture. We live in a culture with the idea of, hey man, anything goes. Again, there's no moral absolutes and objective truth. So what does God call us to do? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he calls us to separate ourselves from the world. He doesn't say separate ourselves from lost people. He tells us to be salt and light in the world. But when it comes to how we do life, he goes, you got to separate. He says, don't team up with unbelievers. Don't do that. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Don't, 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 don't do that. How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be with Christ and the devil? Come out from among the world and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. I will be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters. 
You can't partner with darkness. You can't partner with wickedness. You can't live in sin and go, I'm a child of God. He who says he belongs to the Lord and continues to practice sin, the scripture says he is a, he's a liar. So God, what's your standard? My standard is you be holy as I'm holy. Well, how do I pull that one off? You can't on your own. But I want you to be holy as I am holy. And the only way you can be practicing and walking in a holy state is that you've got to know Christ and you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to live a holy life that's pleasing to God. You believe that? I, I, I do. So God has given us, the believer, his Holy Spirit to empower us to live in such a way that we can glorify God. Then we separate. We're not like the world. We infiltrate the world. We are not just part of the world. Does that mean that I sever friendship? No, God has brought some people into your life over the last weeks and over the last months that were lost, but you have severed them saying, I'm not hanging out with those kind of people. Well, you once upon a time used to be that kind of people and so was I. How will the lost ever get found unless the found have compassion for the lost to tell the lost where they can find hope to be found? How? In 1963, according to Gallup research, 65% of Americans believed the Bible was literal. It's a beautiful song. Today, the number is only 32%. There was a time when most Americans accepted absolute standards. The crazy thing, Nathan, is today, 70% of Americans reject absolute standards. As I said earlier, we continue to see an erosion in our culture. The crazy thing is erosion, destruction. The people during Noah's day and Lot's day did not recognize the times in which they were living. That's part of what Jesus is saying here. They were not aware that the judgment of God was about to hit, and it did. Today, people have mistaken the patience of God and the kindness of God as a license to sin. People look at their lives today, Hazel, and they, they look around and go, well, it's not like God's sending down judgment and I haven't experienced any fire and brimstone. Undoubtedly, what I'm doing must be okay. But there's a judgment day coming. There is a judgment day coming. Genesis 6, 7, and 8, the Lord said, I will wipe out this human race that I have created from the face of the earth. I will destroy every living thing. We go back and read the Genesis account. Again, 1,600 years, man had been on the planet. And God goes, I'm about to wipe it out. And the people were not prepared. When you study that and ponder it, here's, a, here's an interesting fact. The sad thing is Noah preached for a hundred in 20 years, and the people didn't listen. You've been praying for that family member for five years and you wanna throw the towel in? You've been praying for that coworker for the last seven or eight years and had enough, ready to sever it? Noah preached and shared for 120 years. And it reveals to us how hard and how calloused people's hearts can become they're hard. They don't see it. Noah was mocked. Noah was ridiculed. But more than being mocked and ridiculed, the thing that broke Noah's heart was the people rejected God's message. Noah could handle people not liking him. It was the heartbreak that they are rejecting the message of God. 120 years he's been preaching. You think about that. How many people in that community had he done breakfast with, sipped coffee with, had interaction with? How many of those people for 120 years, as they saw him out there constructing the ark that God had told him to build with specific dimensions, etc., he was like, man, I love you. I love you. 
I love you. And here's the crazy thing. They rejected it. They refused to listen. But as long as the door to the ark was still open, the people had a chance to get on. The door is still open. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door, he declares in John chapter 10. The door is open. It's not too late to get on. But we have to be willing to repent and turn from our sin and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is he coming back? Yes. He says in Matthew 24, be ready. The Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Again, the problem for most people is they don't think they need a Savior because they don't see the imminent day coming. I'm good. We're not, we're not good. The world is headed toward judgment day. Do I think it's going to happen? Yes. Do I think that maybe I even get to be on this planet when it happens? Yes. Maybe. And people don't see it coming. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to chill. Business as usual. It's time that the redeemed of the Lord start sounding the warning signs. Imminent danger ahead. Imminent danger is ahead. But we have convinced ourselves that we are the ship that God can't sink. We have convinced ourselves that we're invincible. We have convinced ourselves that, no, we're good. April 14th, 1912, wireless operators continue to receive warnings, icebergs, icebergs ahead, icebergs ahead. But the pride that existed inside of the people on the great Titanic was this. We're the ship that God can't sink. And they refused even to tell the captain, Edward Smith, do you not realize there's icebergs ahead? Divert course. Go a different route. Tap the brakes. Whoa. Bam. Warning signs. Jesus has given us warning signs. Are you ready? The last two weeks have been so heavy. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Are you ready? The good news is this. God in his mercy and in his grace and kindness has always, always, always provided a way of escape for those that would listen. He's always provided a way of escape if we will listen. Noah was spared the judgment of the flood, God made a way. Lot was spared. Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire and brimstone, God made a way. Joseph was spared from a life in prison. God made a way. Moses was spared from a bloodthirsty Pharaoh. God made a way. God made a way. Tim Cash was spared from a, a life of sin. And living in misery because of the shed blood of Christ. Spared. Tim Cash was spared a life of eternity alienated and separated from God in hell because of the amazing grace of God. Spared. Saved. Set free. Ushered into the abundant life that is only found in Christ. So he saved you. And he spared you. And he set you free. So that you could just kind of sit on the sidelines and be silent and look at the world. You know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's too bad. At least I know the Lord. Really? The urgency that should exist inside of every person that calls themselves redeemed should be, I won't skin in the game. I refuse to sit silent. He didn't redeem me and save me and spare me so that I would just take up a place on the bench. I have never, never, never been okay with sitting on the bench. I have never been okay 
We're just saying, well, we'll give you a uniform. And I'm definitely not okay with participation trophies. Oh, you were on the team. I want to be in the arena. I want to be part of the fight. Do you? You go back and study this. In the day of the great flood, God had a spokesperson. His name was Noah. I believe today God is looking for willing, available people that will say, like Isaiah, here am I. Send me wherever you want me to go. Here am I. Use me however you want to use me. Lord, I'm willing to take the gospel wherever you want me to take it. I'm willing to be in the world, but not be of it. I'm willing to be salt and light in my world today. The door's still open. I want to be a part of that. There was a family that started attending last Sunday. I'm standing out in the, uh, standing underneath the uh, awning out front, hanging out with some of our ladies and stuff as they were greeting. And all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, where do I know this dude from? So he comes walking in with his wife and his kids. He goes, Cash! I'm like, John. I'm like, what are you doing here? He goes, we just moved to the area. I said, what made you come here? He said, honestly, we just moved to the area. Didn't feel like driving all the way to Buford. Do you know I was pastoring here? He goes, no, just wanted to stop in. I met that dude in 2008 when he was in AAA with the Braves. And he's like, I remember, dude. I remember the messages. I remember the word. I'm so glad you came today. He got ready to leave on Sunday, and I said, hey, take my number, man. Let's connect. And he goes, I think I've already got your number. I'm like, call me. He reached out to me this week. I was like, 2008? You were in the game in 2008? Yeah, I was, I, I was in the game in 2008. Some people have never gotten in the game. I don't say that to elevate me. I just say when you're in the game, you never know how God's going to use you when you're in the game and what kind of conversations you're going to connect with 15 years later going, I remember. You remember? Are you available? Are you useful? Let's get in the game.